Hey, thanks so much for being at Mile Straight today. So great to see you. Uh, if you would, take a moment and grab your study guide out of your bulletin. Grab a clipboard and a pen from the book rack. And uh, let's jump into our study. Today we're back to Psalm 119. We're working our way through this chapter. And it is, in fact, a very long chapter. I think it's 176 verses, 22 sections of eight verses in each. And uh, we today come to section 8. We're going to be looking at verses 57 through 64. We have seen this already throughout our study, but one of the neat things about Psalm 119 is we get to see transparency at its finest. And it's pretty amazing to watch a guy who is literally king over everyone. Other nations would not ascribe him as their king, but the truth is that uh, he has power over them. So he very much is their king. And this guy who is so powerful, so mighty, King David, would be so transparent and so real. I just love it when I read through it and see what's happening in his life. And he here begins to show us this transparency and this realness about himself, but in such a way as not to draw attention to himself, but to point attention to his God. Now that in itself is also pretty substantial in my opinion. That he wants to be transparent. He wants to be very visibly uh, open with what's going on in his life. He wants to share it so that he can teach us, so that he can instruct us. But in such a way that it doesn't draw attention to himself, but points our hearts and our minds to Jesus Christ. That is significant. Significant. And so this morning, I want us to see four ways in which... He transfers this openness to Almighty God. Look, if you will, if you're ready to write, jot this first one down. Because he shows us this transparency which points us to God in, number one, the joy. The joy. The joy. We see great joy in what he writes in verses 57 and 58. In fact, the first part of verse 57 begins with an exclamatory remark. I hope that's the way you say that. But notice what he says. He says, Lord, you are mine. Now some people might look at that and say, well, it's just a poetic way to express something so that he gets the connection going. You may read through this whole chapter and say, well, it doesn't really sound like poetry to me. If you'd read it in the original language and you understood the original language, which by the way is very necessary... If you'd read it in the original language, understood it in the original language, we would have found the poetic value of what he's saying here. But I want you to know that there's more than poetry going on. That this is his heart. He's expressing his heart. He's laying himself on the line before us. He says, Lord, you are mine. I want you to understand why he's saying that. He's telling us that because of the fact that he's expressed earlier in our study that he is a sojourner in this world. That this world is not his home. He's simply passing through. So he knows that everything he collects in this world, all the possessions that come to him, are not something that he will hold on to forever, but are simply a temporary possession. 
It's something that he'll have until the time he dies and then he'll leave it behind. And what he's looking for is something that will stay with him forever. He wants something to cling to, something to hold on to that he will possess for all of eternity. Something that will make a difference when he leaves this life. And the only thing he has found is his relationship with Jesus Christ. And for him, this is so significant. Because the people that are around him are trying all the time to destroy his faith. We saw that last week. They're wanting to work him over. They're wanting to destroy his hope, destroy his faith in Jesus Christ, to destroy whom he would de declare is the Messiah, the coming Messiah. We already know that he's came and, and he's already been here. It's Jesus Christ. But David was looking for that which was to come. And his hope was in the Word of God, according to what we've read. And he said, they can take everything else away from me. They can even steal my hope. They can steal my joy from time to time. But they can never take away the relationship I have with the Messiah. Lord, you are mine. Now this becomes even more significant as we move through our study. Here then we find him saying, the second part of verse 57, I promise to obey your words. I promise to obey your I, I want to commit to obedience because I'm wanting to please the one whom I will live with forever. I'm not so concerned about pleasing those who are here in the world. I'm not so concerned about those who belittle me, who mock me, who ridicule me, who wish that I was dead. I'm not so concerned about pleasing them. Listen, I'm a people pleaser by nature. I had to come to a very important place in my life to where I understood that, yes, I want to make you happy. I do my best not to upset you or to destroy you or hurt your feelings or anything. That's just my personality. But more important to me than that, and it always will be, is that I'm pleasing God first. If I'm pleasing God and you like it, man, we'll just have a great time. If I'm pleasing God and you don't like it, the way I see it is that's your problem, not mine. My responsibility is first and foremost to please God. And as long as I'm doing that, then I believe that I'm working in the right direction. And we ought to be on the same page here. We ought to be on the same page to where David found himself. These people are trying to destroy me, but I'm not going to give in to them. I know if I give in to them, they'll let off. I know if I bow down, if I, if I give them what they're looking for, my attention, then all of a sudden, they're going to back off of me. But David said, that's not really what's important to me. What's important to me is that I please God. God, you are mine. I promise to obey your words. And then he says, with all my heart, I want your blessings. Be merciful as you promise. God, I'm not looking for the blessings of the world. I'm not looking for the world to, to, to lay their, their great thoughts about me on top of everything. I'm not looking for that. What I really want, God, is your blessing. I believe when David was thinking through this, his mind was going back to things that were very important to him. Back to the promise that God had made to Joshua. I will never leave you 
and I will never forsake you. David had experienced abandonment. These people who were supposed to be his friends were those who were trying to destroy him personally now. David had experienced that firsthand. And now the promise of God was upon him. David, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And David was saying, God, that's the blessing I want. God had promised to guide him, to go before him, to direct his steps. And David was looking at all that he had to accomplish in life, and he was saying, God, that's the blessing I desire. I desire more than anything the blessing of God. And then he says, be merciful as you promised. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve your blessing. I'm a, I'm a dirty sinner, God. And you can look at David and you can say, well, he's a man after God's own heart. But you can also look at what went on in his life at different times and you can find, yeah, he's just like the rest of us. And David could have said easily, God, I can't require you to do this. I, I, I have no right, no authority to try and pressure you into this. The only thing I can do is submit myself to your mercy. And say, God, would you extend this incredible blessing of your presence to me? Everyone else has left. Everyone else has abandoned me. But God, what I really cherish, what I really desire so deeply, is the blessing of a relationship with you. So David shows this transparency in his joy and points us to God in the process. It is then this joy that brings us to, number two, the realization. David has this realization of what's taking place. And he comes to understand, according to the next two verses, 59 and 60, that I can't have the blessings of God on my life without also having the obedience to God in my life. Now think about this. David's wanting God to direct him and to guide him, and yet if David strays away from God's will in his life, he begins to pursue down a path that leads to death and destruction. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof, the ways of death and destruction. And David begins to go down that path, and all of a sudden he's strayed away from what God wants for his life. What's, gonna do? What's God going to do? A lot of times what God will do is say, well, you want to go your own way. Let's see how that works out for you. Let's just watch and see. Because the desire of God is not to destroy us. The desire of God is to put us in a position to where we understand that this path we're traveling is definitely not where we want to be. David had been at that point of death. He had been face down in the dirt, ready to die, when he cried out to God. He said, God, I'm in a place where I don't ever want to be again. Would you take me back? Would you revive me? Would you comfort me? Would you move me back to this place of rightness before you? Why? Because I've been here and I've found that it's really not all that it looks like it's going to be on the way down. God allowed David to face the consequences of his sin. He allowed David to get to that place in his life to where he did not want to go back there. And so David says in verses 59 and 60, I pondered the direction of my life. What's he saying? I really thought about what was going on here. 
And I looked at where I was heading. I looked at what I had been in. And what I came to realize was that was the wrong way for me. Notice what he says next. And I turned and followed your laws. Wow. So I pondered. I looked at what was going on in my life. I found it not to be what I thought it would be. I found it to be a very painful experience. And so as a result, it made me not want to stay there. It made me not want to go back there. What it did was cause me to say, i got to get back to what God wants for my life. And the Bible tells us that David turned his life back over to God. Verse 60, he says something that I think is such a big deal. He says, I will hurry without delay to obey your commands. I will hurry. I've been in this place, and I want you to know, God, I don't ever want to see that place again. That hurt me so badly. I don't ever want to be back there. I, I don't ever. And as a result, because I know how easily swayed I am, I cannot allow myself to live in disobedience for even a minute. Not even a minute, because that minute may be the very thing that captures my heart. That, that rebellion against you may be found in that minute that so grips my heart, it tugs me away, and I don't even realize it, but all of a sudden I'm right back there where I've been. So I'm going to hurry to obedience. I'm not going to play games. I'm not going to mess around. I'm not going to try to live on the edge of it so that I can get the benefits of both sides. No. I'm just going to live in obedience to you. Well, David takes us from the joy to the realization. And then number three, he shows us the temptation. The temptation. For David, he knew what the world had to offer. And he knew that there was an appeal to what the world had to offer. He knew it because he had experienced it. He, he had felt that tug, he'd felt that draw, and he had given into it before. And David, seeing this, in verses 61 and 62, says, Evil people try to drag me into sin. We're going to talk about the importance of our friends in point number four. But here we find David with the realization and the awakening that temptation is sometimes found in who we hang out with. Sometimes our friends will drag us down. What we want to look for are friends that are going to build us up, going to encourage us. Talk about that more in just a second. Evil people try to drag me into sin, verse 61, but I am firmly anchored to your instructions. David says these people are, are, are such as they, they lay the trap and they're not really even that subtle about it. Their determination is to make me one of them, to drag me right back down where I've been before. Because then we're all miserable together. There's no one standing over them that... that 
that shows Christ, that shows the beauty of God, and therefore we don't feel bad about what we're doing. So if David's one of us, then we have no problems. David said, there they are, they're working to bring me down. I know that. But what they don't know is that I'm connected to something that is now giving me strength that I didn't have before. I have anchored my life in the foundation of your word. Now I want you to hear this. As a person who has made the word of God a priority in his life at some times and has let that slip at other times, I can tell you from personal experience what happens. When I make the word of God a priority in my life, when I invest time in God's Word, day in and day out, when it's more important to me than what's on television, and all of a sudden the temptations that usually trip me up so easily aren't as big of a deal. Not that they aren't still there. Not that I don't give in to them from time to time. But it's much less likely to happen when I have made the Word of God a priority in my life. But those other times when I've allowed that to slide, when I've allowed it to kind of take the back seat to the television, the back seat to other things that I like to do, I'm not saying we don't do other things, but, but when I make something else more of a priority than I do the Word of God, then all of a sudden, those things that trip me up so easily are right there in my face, and they're winning time and time again. They're winning. David says, I've got a secret that I didn't have before. I have made the Word of God a priority. I have anchored firmly in your instructions. If it matters to you, if it doesn't matter to you, I'm not really talking to you right now anyway, but if it matters to you, that you stay in the center of God's will, then the Word of God has got to be a priority for your life. Got to be. There's no way around it. It is the Word of God that anchors us. I mean, for David, this was the blessing that he desired so much. God, you are mine. I have anchored my life in you. You are going to guide me. You're going to direct me. There's no other way to get to where I want to go, and that is to please the one with which I will live forever. The only way is in the Word of God. And he said in verse 62, I rise at midnight to thank you for your just regulations. Now, I don't believe that David set the alarm clock for midnight to get up. He may have. I mean, he may have had a servant to come in and wake him up at midnight so that he could praise God. Man, David's an unusual guy. He, he's an incredible guy. Maybe that was his, his way of doing it. But what I really believe is that what was going on here was that when David would wake up in the middle of the night and couldn't sleep, and he would just start thinking about the goodness of God. And he would start thinking about how God was with him day in and day out. And he would start thinking back to how God had watched over him. How God had protected him. How God had promised him some incredible things. I will never leave you. 
I will never abandon you. And I think that it gave David such an incredible heart of gratitude. That even in those waking hours, David was saying, Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. Well, there's one more thing I want you to see. Number four. We also see the transparency of this guy and him pointing us to God through the reality. Number four, the reality. Verses 63 and 64. Look at these verses if you would. David said, I am a friend to anyone who fears you. Anyone who obeys your commandments. O Lord, your unfailing love fills the earth. Teach me your decrees. As I said earlier, David had come to the place where he recognized that his friends mattered. He recognized that having people in his life who would hold him accountable mattered. Having people in his life that would encourage him and strengthen him. People that would point him to God mattered. But he also recognized that having people in his life that would drive him the other direction probably meant that he was going to give in and he was going to fail in his relationship with God during that time of his life. And so his heart was that those who, those who fear God and those who obey His commandments, I want to bring them into my circle. And how can I make that happen? I mean, how is it possible to find people like that? Because the love of God fills the earth. And the love of God that has been brought into the lives of those who have experienced life change through the saving grace of Jesus Christ can be found because the love of Christ is seen shining through them. And so David could locate these people and he could bring them in and he could encourage himself. This is something that has been so much on my heart over the last, well actually the last eight months or so. Over the last eight months, more than that even, I'm not sure exactly how long ago, the leaders of our church have been getting together and we've been praying. And we've been seeking God's direction. Well, God, what do you want for our church? What are we missing here? We know that there's such a vital importance on doing life together. We know that there's such an importance needs to be placed upon us working together, finding people that are going to encourage us, that are going to strengthen us, that are going to kick us in the seat of the pants when we need to be. And God continually is leading us to small groups. And we really feel that there needs to be a time during the week when you can meet with a small group. When we can have that time when we just come together and we pray with each other and we, we study the Word of God together. When we, when we can laugh together, cry together, eat together. Just have that, that community doing life together. Statistics show that if you make those close friendships, and you have those close friendships, that you'll be involved here a few years from now. 
But if you don't, you probably won't be here. And so as we look at all that's going on, we know how important this is. And, and over the next few weeks, we're going to be bringing leaders in and starting to train them. And we're going to share with you more information about what this looks like. Because the last thing we want is for you to feel pressured into it. The last thing we want is for you to feel like you have to do it. Certainly that's not the case. But we want it to be available for you. For those of us who say, you know what? If that's going to make an impact on my life for Christ, I want it. We want it to be available. And so we're going to be sharing more and more and more with you. And giving you an opportunity to ask questions. And see the benefit of small groups. Because I really believe our hearts should be in the same place that David's is. That we ought to be focused on surrounding ourselves with people who are like-minded. So then what do we do with this information? You know, I can't help but believe that there ought to be a realization of the goodness of God to us. There ought to be this place that we come to to where we say, you know what? God has so blessed my life. As I look out over the auditorium, I know that there are some who are going through some very difficult times. And I know for every person I know that's facing that, there's probably several that I don't know. And I know when we look and we see the hardships and the difficulties, and it's so easy. I've been there. It's so easy to get our eyes off of what's good and to focus on what's wrong. I want you to know the blessings of God are the same in the good times as they are in the bad times. God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He loves you in the good times. He loves you in the bad times. And God always wants what's best for us. We never even have to doubt that. And so our hearts ought to be drawn back to the blessing of God. And it ought to be our prayer, God, would you make me like your son? Would you give me the ability to stand in trials and stand in temptation? Would you surround me with people who are like-minded that are going to help me through those difficulties? And Father, would you help me to point people to you wherever I am and in whatever situation I find myself. Thank you.